Welcome to Foundations of Pentecost, dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. We are continuing on our series, Our Worship, Ecstasy, or Intimacy. And uh, it is important that our worship be more than just an excitement, more than just something that we feel, but that it be an intimate relationship with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and invite His presence to be with us this morning. Father, we're thankful for the privilege that we have to come before You. We're thankful that we can call on Your name, that we can worship You to lift up Your name, O God. Lord, I pray that You would be with us this morning in class. Help us as we look at Your Word to gain insight into how that You would have for us to live our lives in a way that would be pleasing to You and bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. This morning I want us to turn to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading in verse 28, Luke chapter 19, verse 28, the Bible says, and when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, wherein yet never a man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh even now at the descent of Mount Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these hold their peace, the stones should immediately cry out. This, is, this passage is what we commonly called the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And, um, uh, of course, today is Palm Sunday, and it is the Sunday on the Christian calendar that we commemorate the triumphal uh, entry of Jesus into uh, Jerusalem. And uh, uh this, uh, this passage is one of the passages in Scripture that we find is recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, 
Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And then we just read Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And then you'll also find it in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. In the passage that we just read from Luke, the Pharisees asked Jesus to silence His followers from their praise. And Jesus replied to them, said, If these hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. He says the very rocks would cry out if they held their peace. When I was in Bible school, my sophomore year, we sang a song in the choir that said, I am one less stone, one more voice to praise the mighty name, the name of the Lord. I am one less stone, one more voice to praise Him. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And I've used the title of that song as the title of our lesson this morning, One Less Stone. I want us to note some things this morning about the triumphal entry of Christ and the worship that took place as He entered into Jerusalem. And uh, the first thing that we note as, as he entered into Jerusalem is that the crowd began to worship him and, and to praise him and to lift up his name. There was an outburst of rejoicing as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It is interesting, we call this the triumphal entry of Christ, and yet it was from this time uh, that things really begin to set in motion for His crucifixion. And, and we see uh, at the end of this, this week, He is crucified. And, and, and while we call it the triumphal entry, and, and it is triumphant in the fact that the cross is what purchased our redemption and what made possible our redemption. And yet this is the thing that is bringing about the hardest trial of his life. And they, but they begin to rejoice and, and the crowd begin to magnify Jesus. The crowd was in awe of the things that Jesus had done for them. The Bible tells us that they begin to praise him for the things that he had done or they, that they begin to cry out Hosanna because of the things that he had done. And uh, 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 it says in verse 37, it says they begin, the disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. The problem was they were rejoicing in awe of the things that Jesus had done. They were rejoicing because of the times that, that He had provided uh, bread and, and fish. They were rejoicing over the times that He had uh, healed the sick. They were rejoicing over those things, but they were not rejoicing 
in the purpose of His coming. And if we are not careful, sometimes we can rejoice for the wrong reason. And these crowds, and this is what part of what allowed them to be so willing to be swayed because some of these same people were probably in the multitude that was crying crucify Him later on. Though not all of them, but, but there, it is quite possible that some of them were in the same. Some of them, no doubt, were caught up in the crowd. Did you know sometimes we come together and we begin to rejoice and we can just get caught up in the atmosphere of rejoicing. I mean, I mean, face it, sometimes in some of our services, we can have a service where someone comes into our midst who is an unbeliever, and yet they begin to respond to our worship. And they begin to react, and sometimes they may clap their hands to our music, but the worship can be caught up in just that crowd mentality. Sometimes, and that doesn't mean that it's all wrong necessarily, but it's not coming from the heart as it needs to. But they were rejoicing because of the, of the miracles. If you look in the book of John chapter 12, in, the, in John's account of the triumphal entry, the Bible says, "...the people therefore that was with him..." When he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record, for this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. One of the major things that caused the people to rejoice at their triumphal entry was the fact that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And because they had heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead, they began to worship. But it was not because of a change in their heart, but it was simply because they had seen a miracle. As they begin to rejoice though, over the things that they did, they begin to honor the King. They begin to give honor to Jesus Christ as the King. First of all, it is, it is important that we honor Jesus Christ as the King, and they were right in worshiping Him as the King. They were right in, in, in glorifying Him as the King and magnifying Him as the King. However, in the minds of many of those, including even His own disciples, their idea of a Messiah or a King was faulty. Because their idea of a Messiah, their idea of a King, was someone who was going to come in and overthrow Rome. They were looking to Jesus as one that would free them from their bondage to Rome and throw off the chains of, the, of Rome. And their worship was lacking because they were worshiping Him not for who He was, but for who they wanted Him to be. They wanted Him to be their King, but they wanted Him as a King in replacement of Rome. They cried out, I, I, if, if I'm remembering correctly in our text, it does not use the word Hosanna, but in the other Gospels, it uses the word, says that they cried Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means Lord save us or save us now. 
And so they were seeking a deliverer and they were crying out to Jesus for salvation. But they did not understand the purpose of His coming. They were crying out, Lord, save us from Rome. And Jesus came not to save them from Rome, but to save us from our sins. That is why He was God with us. To save us from our sins. And yet the people were crying, Lord, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Save us as a nation from Rome. So many times we come to God in worship and we cry out, Lord, save us. And what we mean when we are crying to the Lord for salvation is, Lord, save me from the effects of the fall. Lord, save me from the consequences of my sin. Lord, save me from bondage. Lord, set me free. Lord, free me from the trials and troubles of this life. Free me from the things in this life that go against the grain. But Jesus came to save us from our sin. And so many times we bring people to the cross for salvation and we try to tell them, oh, God will make your life better and oh, God can take this away and God can take that away. And yet there is not the desire to remove the sin from our life. We want to hang on to this sin. We want to, because after all, we enjoy our sin. And we don't really want to be saved from our sin. And so, so their worship was misled because they did not understand that Jesus was there to save them from their sin. Now, obviously, some of the other things that I mentioned in saving us from our sin, when He saves us from our sin, ultimately that, that will save us from the consequences of our sin. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came that we could have life everlasting. So, they honored the King. In this cry... And in our worship, and as we cry out to the King, there is something that takes place when we have true worship. And that is, our worship can become a basis for evangelism. Our worship can become a basis for reaching out to other people. We're going to see here in a couple weeks that our worship, part of our worship is evangelism. And that actually when we are witnessing and talking to other people about Jesus Christ, that is a form of worship. But our worship can also enable us and give us a platform whereby we can reach out to those that are lost. And we can reach out to those that are in need of a Savior. In Matthew's uh, uh, account of the triumphal entry in chapter 21 verses 10 and 11 the Bible says and when he was coming to Jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this 
And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. People who were not followers of Jesus Christ began to ask who Jesus was when they saw the crowd begin to lift Him up. Did you know when people see our worship, and not just our worship in church, but our worship in our daily life, when they see our commitment to Jesus Christ, it will cause them to ask who it is, what it is that makes us different, who it is that we are worshiping, as they see our life as a worship to the Son of God, it will open doors for us to tell them who Jesus is. Sometimes the reason that we cannot find those, those opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus Christ and to minister to other people is because our life has not been worshipped to Jesus Christ. We have lived our life to ourselves rather than to honor Jesus Christ. But when we live our life to honor Jesus Christ, it begins to open doors for us to tell others about Jesus Christ. True worship causes the world to want to know who it is that we adore. In days gone by, when we had church in brush arbors and in the open air, in the early days of Pentecost, there wasn't the entertainment available that there is today. So you know what the sinners did for entertainment? They went and watched the holy rollers roll around in the sawdust. And they went to laugh and to make fun and to mock and to have a good time watching the people of God worship. And as they watched those things, something got a hold of them. The Holy Ghost begin to move on their life and begin to convict them of their sin and drew them in. And many people who came to mock left as believers in Jesus Christ. I've shared this story before about how in old Bethel Chapel, a man came one night, there was a lady there that as she was worshiping God, shook her head from side to side, and he began to monk her and shake his head from side to side. And the Spirit of God got a hold of his head and began to shake his head, and he could not stop it. And his nose started bleeding, and he slung blood from one side of the auditorium to the other. The Holy Spirit can use our worship to bring conviction of sin in the lives of the unbeliever. Sometimes we, you know, we live in a different time. Things have, you know, we don't meet in the open air a lot of times. One of the concerns I've heard, and there are many, there are legitimate concerns and there are some that are not legitimate and, and I understand we're, uh, but, but, I've heard concerns about live streaming the church because, oh, you know, people will make fun of the way we worship. 
And there are those that, that will go out, that will go on YouTube and watch uh, clips of services where people are shouting and glorifying God. And, and some of it probably is, is not even true worship. Some of it's just worked up or whatever. But they'll watch those to laugh and to make fun. But just as God got a hold of people in the brush harbor days who came to laugh and make fun, God can get a hold of someone who has their phone out watching one of our services as God moves upon somebody. And our worship can become a witness. As these people begin to cry out and as they begin to worship, there were those that begin to oppose their worship. First of all, we note that it was the religious that were quickest to oppose the worship of, of Jesus' disciples and of His followers. It was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were trying to silence their worship. Let me just point out, in saying this, it is, it is obvious that it was uh, the religious leaders of the day, and sometimes there are religious leaders that will try to silence true worship. However, let us not forget in recognizing the, the silencing of the religious and those that are, 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 would silence true worship, that the Bible does still, and we talked about a few weeks ago, the regulation of our worship. The Bible does still say that things are to be done decently and in order. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that it is Scripture. So just because a religious uh, leader, just because a pastor or a, uh, someone who is uh, in proper authority and proper leadership tries to direct the service in a certain way, and, and I have seen times when they've said, said, hold on, we're about to miss God here by rejoicing too much because I've got a message from God that needs to be preached. So we can't let the service run away right now. That doesn't, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not, there are times that that is appropriate. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about those that, that would try to suppress our worship and, and, and stop and, and direct our worship away from God. Because often there are detractors from true worship who appear to be religious. There are people in, in our day that we can listen to that promote things that are against the Word of God and against Scripture and against scriptural principles of worship that have set them up and appear to be religious leaders. Not only were the Pharisees, though, uh, 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 religious leaders, but they were politically motivated. And since the founding of our country, there has never been a time when the political setting in our nation has been more against the church than what it is today. I realize that, that there was political turmoil 
against religious freedom during the early days in the colonization of the United States and the colonization of America. That's what drove many of the settlers here. And many of the pilgrims came for that reason. But we have seen a time come about when things have been twisted to bring about political pressure on the church like has not been known. There was a time, and probably misguided, we said the church has no place in politics. And so we kept silent until now politics has tried to silence the church. Not only were the Pharisees religious, but they were jealous. John chapter 12 verse 19 says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. A lot of times those who oppose our worship, it's because they want our worship to themselves. A lot of times the conflict between the church and government is because government desires to be seen as God. Government desires to be seen as our provider. So, sometimes we see this even, even within uh, uh, religious sects. We see, we see leaders rise up. That's why you have cults that are formed. And when you study the cults and look back through the different cults that exist today, you'll find that a number of those cults were began by people in mainstream churches. Jim Jones, who led the group to commit suicide by drinking Kool-Aid that was laced with poison, led that cult, started out as an Assembly of God preacher. We must be cautious and be aware that our worship is true and our worship is directed to Jesus Christ because there are those even in our midst, in the midst of the Pentecostal movement that would divert true worship from Jesus Christ to themselves and set them up themselves up in this place. And then we notice in spite of the opposition, Jesus was committed 
Jesus was committed to go to the cross. First of all, we note that Jesus tells the Pharisees that if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. Jesus realizes the necessity of worship. But He did not let this worship both and and understand within the worship that took place at the triumphal entry, you had true worshipers that were worshiping God with all sincerity and truth, and you had false worshipers. Those who were going along with the crowd. Those who had, may have had ulterior motives. Those that were not. It was a mixed multitude. And, and there's always going to be a mixed multitude among worshipers. And that's okay. You say, what do you mean that's okay? Jesus gave us a parable of the terrors. The terrors were sown in among the wheat. And Jesus said, let them grow up. And at the end of the harvest, God will sep- in the harvest, God will separate the wheat from the tares. And God will judge. And sometimes if we go out and we try to we try to pick and pull and you know, everywhere we find a false worshiper or a worship that's not exactly like we think it should be, oh, let's pull that weed up. And the problem is when we pull those roots up, we destroy some of the good grain as well. We destroy some of the good wheat as well. And so sometimes, God, Jesus said, let the tares grow with the wheat. And so, but He did not allow this to cause Him to be deterred from His ultimate goal, which was the cross. Jesus was coming to the hardest time of His life. And it would have been easy. And I know we can get into the argument, well, Jesus was God and, you know, God, but Jesus was also man. It would have been easy for, for, uh, from his human perspective to, to have said, you know what, let's, they're ready to make me king, let's let them make me king. But his purpose was not to establish a throne at that time. But his purpose was to give his life a ransom for many. And he did not let their worship cause him to be distracted from God's plan. We are not careful. If we are not careful, we will allow... the excitement of worship to move us from God's plan for our life. Because sometimes the excitement is more alluring than the hardship. The excitement, the emotion... The emotion of of rejoicing is much more appealing than the pain of sacrifice. And Jesus told us 
If any man will follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And sometimes we have to take... Sometimes true worship is taking up our cross and following Jesus. It is crucifying the flesh. And we don't always want to do that. That's not always the fun part of worship. We like the rejoicing, but we don't like the sacrifice. But we should never allow our rejoicing to keep us from sacrifice. There was opposition from the enemy, but we find that praise is unstoppable. True worship cannot be stopped. He says if these hold their peace, the very rocks would cry out. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. The Bible teaches us that God can be seen through, our, through the creation. Creation itself glorifies and magnifies God. When we look at creation, the sun and the moon which God has ordained, we think, what is man that thou art mindful of him? As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 8, and we begin to see the glory and splendor of creation. And it testifies to the wonders of the mighty God. The creator of heaven and earth. And it magnifies and glorifies God. Whether or not we speak up. Jesus told His disciples, He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. He is talking about there, there have been those that have tried to reason it and try to say that, well, it's a smaller gate within the gate and stuff like this. But Jesus is talking about a literal needle there. Because His disciples said, well, if that's so, said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God... the very rocks could cry out with a voice and say, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise be to Jesus. If mankind failed to praise Him. I was reading this morning about Balaam. And how his donkey spoke. 
God could cause a donkey to speak. He can cause the very rocks to cry out. But it was never God's intention that the rocks be the ones that give Him praise. But that man be the one that give Him praise. That is the reason we were created. That is the purpose of creation. Is that we cry out and glorify God. So often, there are those that, that feel hopeless or, or that feel unfulfilled in this life because they are not fulfilling their purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created to worship God. And the only way that we will feel, find fulfillment in this life is as we lift up our voice and lift up our hands and rejoice and worship God Almighty. Whether it be through our worship in church as we lift our hands and we lift our voice or whether it be on the street talking to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ or whether it be on the job just walking in simple obedience to those that are in authority over us. We are to worship God. We are created for worship. The Bible tells us that all are to praise the Lord. The psalmist wraps up the book of Psalms in 150 and says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Could we do that this morning? Could we praise Him? Thank you, Lord, for Your goodness, for Your kindness, O oh God. Thank You most of all for sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to pardon our sins, to give His life, Lord, a ransom, Lord, to shed His blood that we could receive salvation, that we could once again have fellowship with You. Thank You, Lord, that You're our Redeemer. Thank You that You're our Savior. Lord, You're our King. Lord, You are mighty. You're our fortress. You're our high tower. You're our defense. Your name is to be glorified and lifted up. God, I pray that our lives would be worship unto You. Lord, I pray that as we live a life of worship unto You, it would cause others to see something in us that would cause them to ask, who is this that they adore? Who is this that they love? Who is the one to, to which they give so much honor and respect and they live their lives for? And Lord, begin to open opportunities for us to share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. To give us opportunities to say, Jesus came and gave His life that you might be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.